We get caught up in the, uh, in the spiritual world a lot on, on quantity, if you will. Um, but the quality of worshiping Jesus this morning, I think, matters way more than the quantity of people who are watching. And I don't mean that negatively. I certainly, if you're online, we're glad you're here. And just proud of you guys for leaning in, for filling the room. Because God is amazing and deserving of our praise. Two things I want to make sure uh, we take a little time and mention before we jump to the sermon today. And we will get there, I promise. Um, but I wanted to let you know uh, there will be a celebration of life service for Mac McDonald on Sunday, November 5th. So a few weeks from now, 3 in the afternoon. Um, several of you have asked, um, you know, Mac went home to be with the Lord uh, a week or so ago, and um, you know that's that's always hard news when we lose a brother we love. But he is home with the Lord, and uh, his faith is sight, and uh, we want to celebrate his life. So Sunday, November fifth, I met with Jason and Rebecca this week, and they're doing well, and um, they want to make sure you're included in that celebration of life. And so uh, Sunday, November fifth, three p.m. Uh, here at Harvest. The other thing I wanted to take time and do today, many of you said, you know, I'm just heartbroken over what I see in the news that's going on in, in Israel and Gaza and, and uh, Palestine. And I want to take time and pray for that this morning. Uh, and we did last week as well. But instead of me praying and you just kind of nodding along, I want to prompt you in some ways to pray. And I want to get you doing it because several of you have said to me over the last week, I'm just not quite sure how to pray about this. You know, that, that, that I want what's right, that I want justice to be done, but that I'm, I get the first words out, but then past that, I don't know what to say. And so I'm just going to prompt you through some prayers uh, to pray for Israel, to pray for uh, Gaza, and pray for the Lord to be glorified uh, in what's to come. And so will you join me in prayer this morning? Um, first, just thank the Lord for his grace. Now I want you to take a moment and I want you to pray. I want you to pray for, for peace in the Hebrew sense of shalom, well-being across that land. I want you to pray for the protection of innocent people.
want you to pray for justice and justness. you to pray for uh, Christian believers that are in Israel and in Palestine. Pray that the name of Christ would, would be lifted up. Pray for his kingdom come, that the king would come. Pray for that same sense of peace and kingdom come in your life and in our land. Lord, we join together this morning to pray that you would break through in a world filled with war. Lord, we pray that there would be peace, but we recognize that uh, 
There's been no peace in that region of the world really forever. And we know that peace would come through your kingdom come. And Lord, you have entrusted your kingdom come to us. And so Lord, we pray that we would bring your kingdom come to our land, to our neighbors, to our neighborhood. Lord, we do pray for protections of innocence. But we join together as well to pray for justice. Lord, we pray your blessing on every person who would seek your kingdom. Lord, ultimately, people not only in that aspect of the world, but around the world, we need you. We desperately need you. And so we seek you this morning, Jesus. We worship you. We glorify and lift high your name. And we thank you for the privilege we have of living and loving and sharing your grace. Lord, empower us as we study your word today. Make us people who live like you and love like you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. I just broke one of the cardinal rules I was taught back in the day. Never, never allow silence in the service because people might drift or fall asleep. Or, But I think praying is always a good thing. Always a good thing. If you have your Bibles, you might open them with me today to Colossians chapter 3. We've been making a slow march through uh, Colossians 3. And I really want to spend a little more time here in the middle of Colossians 3 today uh, exploring uh, what I'm going to say is the real evidence of spiritual maturity. We're in a series called Real ID. We're talking about who we are and not just who we are, but as believers in Jesus, who we are in Christ and the importance of getting that right. I've thought a lot over the years about spiritual maturity. I've had... Plenty of leaders tell me they were spiritually mature. I, I've, I've been in plenty of meetings where spiritually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put quotes around it, spiritually mature people asserted their maturity <clears throat> and therefore their rightness on whatever issue was being debated. Sometimes it's easier... To define something by what it's not, not just what it is. And actually, this one, I think, is, is pretty easy to get right biblically. But you know spiritual maturity. <laughs> you, you know a lack of spiritual maturity when you see it. I'll say it that way. When you see people in church world who are full of anger and malice, where there's a sense of a person being deceptive or manipulative 
when there's a, a sense of narcissism and self-focus, that's not spiritually mature. When there's a person who is prideful or egocentric, that everything revolves around how they are viewed and valued. When a church is vindictive or prejudiced, impulsive, Every time I ask us if we've experienced a church that, that went south, a church that was religious but not very Christ-like, and I say, how many of you have had a bad experience in a church like that? Nearly every hand, every time I ask, goes up. And yet we define spiritual maturity in the Christian world often by who knows more about this book. And I think the question really comes down to who lives it, not who knows more about it. This is what it says in the middle of Colossians 3. And we have covered some of these verses already, but I just want you to see the whole argument in context. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger. Rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off the old self with its practices. Notice this is imagery of, of removing the clothes that are tattered and oiled and dirty. The old clothes. And have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. These are the new clothes. Here in the knowledge of the image of our creator, he, the creator, Jesus, right, is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1 said. The invisible image, the visible image, rather, of the invisible God. And here... It says we are being remade in His image. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all, and Christ is in all. And so we talked last week, right, that there is no place for the, the, the typical judgments of our world. Racism, ethnocentrism, the sense of us versus them that's so prevalent in our world is not appropriate in the Christian community. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, this is who you are, this is your identity. You are chosen, you are holy, you are loved, dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion. So remember, we were to put off certain things, take off. This is what we are to put on. The very vestiges of Christ. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. 
and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Be thankful. And let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is the real evidence of spiritual maturity. This is what unity and community looks like in the Christian world. I would note for us what this path doesn't say. It doesn't say unity and community come from looking alike, thinking alike, always wanting the same thing. For that for that matter, it doesn't come from always being the same age or the same ethnic background. Imagine what would happen in our world if Christians across the world took these verses seriously and literally. In a fractured Christian world that is divided in every which way you can imagine, what would happen if if Let's say it this way. We, we often say we need revival. What if this kind of revival broke out? Now, I'm going to be honest. I can't influence the entirety of the American Christian church or the worldwide Christian church. But you and I together, we have quite a bit of influence in this one. Because we are this Christian church. What if we did everything we could to implement these verses and put them into practice, not just inside these walls, because this building's not the church, but when we're gathered together and when we're scattered across our community? Don't you think that would be contagious to the neighborhood? Wouldn't it look different against the backdrop? of the wars that go on, not just in Israel and Gaza, but the wars that go on in Eugene, Oregon and Springfield, Oregon. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If, if, if what? It's no different than this is saying. In fact, if you wanted a description of Christ, I'm not sure you can find a better one in the New Testament. 
And so the thing I'm trying to say today, the one thing that this message is about, is that I'm most like Jesus when I'm putting love and grace into practice. I am most like Jesus when my hands, when my feet, when my mind, when my heart, when my interactions, when the ways I treat people do unto others as you would have them do unto you, when they reflect Christ as we read about him in the New Testament. The greatest demonstration, the greatest evidence of any sense of Christ-likeness is that we're Christ-like. Not that we get together at certain seasons and put on a mask that looks like Jesus and then go live differently all year long. Right? <laughs> it's Halloween season. Everybody puts on masks, right? I think, sadly, in the Christian church across America, it's often Halloween season where we put Jesus on on Sundays and then live different. Monday through Saturday. Now, I, I'm certainly not against some fun when it comes to Saturday football and playing. Sorry, I just had to mention it. I'm grieving as you are. It was a difficult. Last night on social media, I observed everybody hang Coach Lanning out to dry. Because it's the easiest thing in the world to be an armchair quarterback. It's another thing to be the man in the arena. As that famous quote says, if you know it. Here's what I do know, coming back to what really matters today. I'm most like Jesus. When love and grace aren't just theological concepts, but they're practical behaviors. When my mind begins to become transformed. When my heart begins to change. When the words that come out of my mouth and the treatment of not just people I love, but people I don't love. Right? The same Jesus who taught us to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength said, hey, yeah, 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 but love your neighbor is yourself. And there was that, that, that person that came along and said, but who's my neighbor? And Jesus told a story about a Samaritan, called him good, someone that would have been hated. Same Jesus, same Bible, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Love and grace are the greatest evidence of spiritual maturity. Not my theological precision. I come from a Christian background that loves theological precision. The ability to articulate and argue to the nth degree. Turn right, then left, then right, then down, then up then over, then under. 
Sometimes when we're figuring out the deepest theological concepts, it sounds like we're given directions to Chick-fil-A halfway across the planet. Oh, we were together 99% of the time, but, but right before we got there, we differed. We must go separate ways. The question I wonder is how loving are we as we're figuring out all of that theological precision. And by the way, some things are just a mystery. Maybe that's the lazy theologian's way out. But you can try to figure out how Jesus is 100% divine and 100% human all you want. Explaining it to the nth degree, I'm not sure I can do. Do I know the big words? Yeah. Does it do you any good if I give them to you? Not a hill of beans difference. But if I love and show grace like Jesus, that will change the world. <laughs> this text used the word chosen. You know how much theological precision there has been over the word chosen and how often Christians have unloved and ungraced over the word chosen? Are we going to argue somebody into the kingdom because they follow the name of Calvin or Arminius? What I know is my friends and neighbors don't know those names, couldn't care a hill of beans difference about those arguments, but they do want to know if there's love. Not just if there's God kind of love, but whether we would love them. This doesn't say that spiritual maturity looks like consistency in church attendance. I'm for consistency in church attendance. My point would be, and all of these things actually I'm going to mention that it's not. What if these are the means to being formed in Christ likeness, not the evidence? What if, what, what if? We say, but I'm not in the Bible enough. There are people who spend hours in the Bible a week, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fly-in when I can, and I feel bad about that, and I have some guilt about it. But they must be spiritual giants because they spend more time in the Word than I do. What if that's the means towards maturity, not the evidence? These are people who know more. Every time we've ever looked for leaders in the church inevitably somebody says i just don't know enough which means i'm afraid that i'll look dumb when someone asks a question i don't know the answer to you know how often people ask me questions that i don't know the answer to i have two options at that point fake it till i make it or just say, I don't know, I'll look into it. Or maybe to say, I'm not sure we'll ever know the answer to that one. But I know the answer to this one. Christ's likeness looks like Christ. In other words, the goal of our discipleship is that we live like Jesus lives. That we love like Jesus loves. Think about these words. <laughs> right? He told us what to get rid of. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying, the old self. 
He tells us to put on Christ, to put on the new self, that we are chosen, holy, and dearly loved, that we are to clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, that we are to bear with each other and forgive one another, to put on love over all of it that binds it all together. I'm most like Jesus when I'm putting his love and grace into practice. The word compassion is interesting. The word compassion in the original is actually two words. Those two words are literary, literally the bowels of mercy. They thought that feelings came from the bowels. You've ever had a movement, a gut feeling. Gut feeling is kind of the same idea. See, we think of feelings coming from this region, thoughts coming from this region, but they, for whatever reason, thought the center was more here. The idea of compassion is that we would have a deep awareness of and sympathy for another's suffering. In fact, in many ways, it would be this sense of compassion that drives us to care. That a need is expressed, that there is a response of mercy and love, and that leads to an action to meet that need, which goes to the next word, clothe ourselves with kindness. Kindness is grace and compassion in action. It's the quality of being warm-hearted and considerate, humane. Sympathetic, of course. It's benevolence and grace in action. The root of the word kindness shares a, a similar a rootedness with the word grace. In fact, several of these do. And the bottom line here is that grace isn't meant to be a concept we argue about. It's meant to be a treatment we put into practice. Grace is undeserved kindness. It says to clothe ourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility. Humility. It's the disposition of assessing ourselves appropriately in light of who God is and frankly who we are not. Humility is a lowly attitude towards God. A freedom from pride and self-assertion. Think about what he's just told us here. Here... In the knowledge of the image of its creator, there's no Gentile or Jew, no, no, no uh, Greeks or Jews, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarians or Scythians, slave nor free, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. Imagine in that church when you have, and again, we talked about slavery last week, so I, I would really highly encourage you to hear that, to know my heart on that issue. Slavery's always wrong. But in that day, in that time, it was accepted practice. So imagine how countercultural it is to say in the church of Jesus that what matters among slave and master is that Christ is in them and that they love one another, that they humble themselves. Master, humble yourself. That's earth shattering language. Come back in a couple of weeks. 
and I'll take you through what I think is ultimately the arguments that ended slavery among the abolitionists as we look not only at the rest of Colossians, but the book of Philemon in the New Testament. Gentleness. Acting in a manner that is mild and even-tempered. This word is sometimes translated meekness, which we're not quite sure what that means or what to do with. It often means power that is under control, that is harnessed in the right way. I picture this, some would say, well, okay, power under control, that's, that's a horse that has been broken, and then that strength under great control. I think of it like the rock, you know the rock, that guy, <laughs> holding a baby, the tiniest of babies. Think about how gentle we have to be. Clothe yourselves with gentleness, with patience. Slow to anger, abounding in love. A steady response in the face of provocation. A sense of endurance in the face of pain or unhappiness. We think of patience primarily in terms of am I willing to wait? When I go to the grocery store, the line is long. When I go to the gas station and I have to choose between pumping my own and having someone... It's, it, it's rough to be a modern-day Oregonian, isn't it? <clears throat> Patience. This is far more than am I going to wait in that line or that line. I Every time I go get gas, I pick the line I think will move fastest that will get me up the fastest. And then I play the game you play. Did it work? I do that at the grocery store, right? You go, you got a full cart, you're not going to do the self-checkout. You know, you realize you're getting paid nothing to check yourself out, right? I mean, this is like the ultimate thing for Walmart, for, for any of the places. So, so, so you got the full cart, you get in line, and it's, it's almost uh, Thanksgiving season, and you've got a full cart versus stuff, and they got a bunch of lines open, and you picked this one, and so now you're watching that guy and that lady and you're trying to figure out, did I get through mine faster than they got through theirs? Is this not true? Tell me I'm not the only vain human being that plays this game. The only one in the entire world. Patience is far more than the willingness to be the last through the line at the grocery store. It shows up in the ways we... Bear with one another. Look at the very next word. Forbearance. Literally, it means you could translate it to endure something unpleasant or difficult. It literally means just put up with one another. I wonder how much put up with we have left. How often was Christ with the disciples in a put-up-with-them sort of moment? Jesus, I'll never deny you. Jesus, is this the moment we get the sword out and we get to lop off some ears? 
we're quick to be the people who lop the ears with the sword. But are we quick to put up with one another? The implication here is that we are all people who need put up with. I know you love your pastor. I know you think he drinks too much Dr. Pepper, and he does. But ask my family. There's a lot to put up with. This is forbearance, and it shows up in patience and gentleness. Bear with each other and forgive each other. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. To forgive someone on the account of goodwill. See, but they don't deserve goodwill. Guess what? None of us do. Do I, does Christ forgive me because I deserve goodwill? Or does he forgive me because he has goodwill? In fact, this very word, interestingly, is not the traditional word for forgive. It's just what's it's been translated. Frankly, it's the verb for grace. In other words, this passage ends with grace and love. And literally, this could be translated, be gracious to one another as the Lord has been gracious to you. I don't feel like being gracious. I didn't sleep much last night. Ducks lost yesterday. Was Jesus driven by feel like? The reality is the standards for how I treat people changed the day I met Jesus. Because the way he treated me is supposed to become my new way of life. It's the way I handle people. The way I handle situations. I don't have to treat people the way they treat me. I can just treat them the way Jesus does. We often think of forgiveness and grace as something we do sort of after the fact. C.S. Lewis said something along the lines of, forgiveness sounds like a novel great idea until you have to put it into practice. Right? Then it's pretty painful. But grace is preventative, not just responsive. It's what happens on the front side, not just what happens on the back side. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with each other, being gracious towards one another. Be gracious as the Lord was gracious to you. And over all these virtues, put on love. Love, that willingness to lay down life. Love. What if spiritual maturity just looks like loving like Jesus loves? Let me say it one more way, and then I want to get real practical as we, as we go through the 
I have the outline? I don't even know if I brought the outline here. Wherever the outline is, there's a bunch of blanks I didn't fill in. I know that. So I want to get practical, and I want to fill those in. But spiritual maturity is not that hard. If we boil it down to loving like Jesus loves. Being gracious as Jesus is gracious. It is that hard in that you will never ever be able to achieve it on your own. It takes Christ changing your mind, your heart, your soul, your bowels. Everything about you has to be remade in his image. And what it took for that sinful side of us to be remade in his image is his death on a cross, his burial in a borrowed grave, and the resurrection. How does Jesus really transform our hearts? Let's think this through. Let's just be super practical. I think I have five points here. Number one, start with love and grace, end with love and grace. Right? He said just very clearly that as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, the, the very reason we can be dearly loved is because the reason, the reason we can be chosen, right? Again, chosen means adopted. That we were not his people and we became his people. Let's put aside all the arguments about which came first, the chicken or the egg. Let's put aside all the arguments about free will. God is sovereign. But at the end of the day, this says God chose me. In fact, all three of these, chosen, holy, dearly loved, these were words reserved for the people of God in the Old Testament, for Israel. And he says to this Christian church made up of Jew and Gentile and slave and free, barbarian and Scythian, he says to them, you are chosen and adopted. Don't treat people as unwanted that God wants. He says, you are holy. Don't treat people as atrocious that God says are holy. He says, you are dearly loved. Don't make enemies out of people that God calls loved. We start with love and grace. And he says, over all this, put on love that binds them all together in perfect unity. Start with love and grace, end with love and grace. Last week I said something about us not being, right? I'm not to make an enemy out of those who are in fact brothers and sisters. So I met with the stewards last week and Becky Hoagland, one of our stewards, said, you know, Brian, I had to chuckle a little bit. It seems like brothers and sisters not being enemies is an oxymoron. Because brothers and sisters do this all the time. Exactly. Descriptive or prescriptive. What are we supposed to be? Not what are we? We love because we are loved. We grace others because we are graced. We show compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience because that's how God treated me. It's just that simple. 
You say, well, Brian, it's not that simple. Because it's so hard. Guess what? Life is the laboratory. The hardships of life. The annoying people of life. The difficulties of life. These are the laboratory where God works to change our hearts and minds. Number two, invest in roots that produce the fruit of the Spirit. Roots that produce the fruit of the Spirit. Let me see if I can make sense of this. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to see how many of these words seem to overlap. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Did you hear some words there that are here? See, what the Spirit produces in us is the same. We want to invest in the roots that produce the fruit. Colossians 3, at the very beginning, first couple of verses, talk about minds and hearts that have Christ on the throne. That, those are the roots that produce the fruits. It says our identity is rooted in Christ, that we are chosen and holy and dearly loved. Those are the roots that produce the fruits. Not just fruits, fruit singular of the spirit these aren't pick and choose i don't get to go well i'm not very good at patience but i'm better at that one try this first corinthians 13 you know this passage love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud love does not dishonor others it's not self-seeking love's not easily angered love keeps no record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love, love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Again, these things overlap. It turns out that the Bible is unified in saying that these are the fruit that God is working to produce in us. I've just got to lean into them. Number three, it's a choice I've got to make every morning. So make the choice every morning to put on love and grace. When you get dressed every day, I want you to think about those clothes you put on, and I want you to put on the clothing of Christ. Compassion, and kindness, and humility, and gentleness, and patience, forbearance. I think a lot of times we think, you know what? That person doesn't deserve those things. But really what we're arguing is that I don't deserve to be mistreated over these things. Which happens to be the exact opposite of humility, by the way. Number four. There's a replacement strategy going on here. I need to replace my angry actions with Christ's heart. Right? Anytime I've worked with addicts, in the world of addiction, we often talk about replacements. That, that, that one habit you used to have needs to get replaced with a healthier habit. Right? Anyone who's ever quit smoking or drinking or something of that nature knows that, they, they have a, that life has a tendency to drive them back to that thing they shouldn't do and they need a thing they should do, a right habit to put into place. Does this make sense? Now, I'm not saying you have this ability on your own. I can't do any of this without Christ, but my brain needs to be retrained to replace this toxic stuff with these grace thoughts of Jesus. 
And the only way that's ever going to happen is for me to live this out in day-to-day life, which means when life requires me to be patient, that's the chance to put it into practice. When someone is unkind to me, that's the chance to be gracious and kind in return. I'm going to end the blanks, the notes, with this last section. Let's just live for an audience of one. Right? There's only one opinion that really matters. Listen to these words and see if you can figure out whose opinion it is. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. By the way, it doesn't say this in the language, but... Be thankful implies to Christ, doesn't it? We're not just sort of thankful to the universe. We're thankful to God himself. And let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Through him. I'm going to return to those words in a few weeks when we get a little closer to Thanksgiving. But I just wanted to lay them out now. That's a thoroughly Christ focused, Christ driven perspective. And that's the answer for how I become like Christ. When, when my focus is over here on what's going on in the world and I'm ready to blow somebody up, what will make me like Christ? is to just fall a little deeper in love with him. Now again, did, did Christ, was Christ ever bothered by things he saw? Far more often than we know. But at the end of the day, how would you describe how Christ treated people? Compassion, kindness, gentleness. Humility, patience, forbearance, grace, love. I need more of that. You? All right. I'm going to close with two prayers, the sermon, and then we're going to sing another song. We always end the message with two prayers. The first, a prayer of salvation. The second, a prayer of application. If you need Jesus today, maybe online or maybe here in the room, maybe today for the very first time you've understood that Jesus did this for you, that 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 cross where he died for your sins, where he was buried in a borrowed grave, where he was resurrected on the third day, that all of that was personal for you, that he he wants to offer all of this to you, and you just can't earn it. He can't be good enough for it. You can just receive it. Maybe today for the very first time you need to receive this love of Jesus. You can pray with me right now. Again, online, here in the room. Dear Jesus, I don't deserve any of this. But but I want you. So I turn to you. I turn from all that junk in my life, the sin in my life. I turn to you, Jesus. 
fill me with all of your grace and love and change me. Live in me. Take over my life. Be my God. And remake me in your image. So that I love like you love. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If that's you and you prayed to follow Christ for the very first time, man, I'd love to know that today. You can tell me. You can fill out a communication card. Again, digital communication card. You can tell somebody you came with. You can email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at HarvestChurchEugene.com. Man, we'd love to love, really love to celebrate that. We'd love to say welcome to the family. We'd love to help you connect. We'd love to talk about how we help each other in these regards. We can't do any of that if you don't tell us, so please do. At the same time, a lot of us prayed to follow Christ some time ago, and yet we're still being transformed and renewed in His image. And we need more of that, not less of that. You agree? So if that's you, would you pray this prayer of application with me, dear Jesus? Make me and my life look more and more like you. May your grace be recognized in me. When others see me, may they see compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, grace, and your love. Not just in me, but in our church. Make us that kind of community that is for this neighborhood and this community. When people wonder what Christians think, may they know us by your love. In Jesus' name, amen.